You know, if I were to ask some of you today, what is the greatest holiday in our Christian faith? Some of you, no doubt, would say Easter, and you'd be right. Or maybe you'd say Christmas, and I'd say you'd be right. But how many of you would say Pentecost? You know, Pentecost is one of the great holidays of our Christian faith. And we celebrated it just a couple weeks ago. Pentecost, it's the Greek word for uh, 50. It's the 50th day after Easter, and it's the day that the Holy Spirit came. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to depart, but don't be afraid. The Lord's going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come and be upon you. And it's also the day the church was born. And why is that important? It's because the church is the only thing that's going to last for all eternity. Nothing else on the planet or in the universe is going to last for all eternity. You know, scientists tell us there was a day when the earth was created and there's a day where the earth is going to end and the universe is winding down. I mean, the law of entropy is at work, friends. And the Bible says that one of these days, God is going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And the only thing that's going to last from this one to the next is God's family. And that is the church. That are those people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Those people that have invited God into their life and have said yes to Jesus. That church family is going to last. And since we're in Pentecost and we're in this new series that we've talked about here, how God uses very different people like you and me to really achieve his main purpose to tell the world about himself and his love for you and I. I want us to take a look at the book of Acts. You know, the book of Acts chapter 2 is a frequent passage in a lot of my spiritual formation. I find myself going back oftentimes to Acts chapter 2 because here we get this glimpse of this incredible group of people that have been set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And God is doing these amazing things through these ordinary people. And God has transformed their lives, and they are indeed a friend to the world as God is using them in amazing ways to share the hope and the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's this line that I want to bring to your attention here out of Toy Story. I don't know if you've seen one of the, the Toy Story movies. I know there's a group in the church, uh, a lot of our youth and children, they're going this afternoon to see Toy Story 4 that's out. That's where we gain our inspiration but throughout the summer, our Sunday school, uh, our children's Sunday school is looking at this program called Toy Story, where they're looking at individual toys from the movie, but they're really applying them to the scripture and teaching our kids about how God used so many different kinds of people to really achieve his purpose to spread this good news and this hope that each and every one of us would come into a relationship with God. And in the Toy Story, I was watching one of these movies uh, here the other day, Toy Story 2. There's a toy in there that's a penguin, and his name is Wheezy. The kid has played with this toy so much that its squeaker really sounds like it's an asthmatic, okay? And it's wheezing, uh, you know. And so the kids got tired of it. Instead of tossing it in the trash or the rummage cell fodder pile, it ends up on the top shelf in the boy's room. 
And it's dusty up there, and there's hardly any other toys. And then Woody, one of the main toys in the movie, suddenly tears his arm, and he finds himself banished, if you will, on the top shelf in the kid's room. And he gets up there, and there's Wheezy. And he's like, what are you doing up here, Wheezy? How did you get here? And, of course, Wheezy in that raspy voice is trying to talk. And and Woody shares these incredible words of encouragement and tries to invite him back into the community, this penguin. And by the end of the story, Wheezy has a new squeaker. Doesn't sound asthmatic anymore. And right there at the very end, the penguin says, I feel a new song coming on. I think here in Acts chapter 2, we see a new song coming on. Jesus has died and then rose again. And 50 days later, the Holy Spirit does a new thing as the Spirit of God falls afresh on that body of people and their lives are filled with the Spirit of God. Folks, we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, my greatest fear as your pastor is that we would lose the blessing of God. That's really my greatest fear. As a church body, we have to continue to do the things that God has told us to do and to be the church and to live out the life of the church family. And I want us to look at that first church. The day it was born, I think there's a lot that we can gain here from the DNA of this church. I mean, because the day you were born, all of the DNA you needed for your life was given to you, actually from the point of conception. You didn't get it when you turned 10 years old. You didn't get a little bit more when you turned 25 or you turned 50. No, everything you needed for your life was put into your DNA right there in conception. And everything we need for God's blessing, I believe, was put into the DNA of that original church. And what an incredible glimpse it is of these people who were on fire for God and how they conducted themselves and how they lived out as the church here on earth. Now, one of the things that is really seen here in this page of Scripture in the early church is the love that God had for them and the love that they had for one another. It's amazing, the fundamental love that is present and just kind of permeate, just kind of is is such a part of this fellowship and this family. Do you know the ancient Israelites were bird watchers? Do you know that? Now, I don't think that they had a pair of binoculars and a blue tattered copy of the birds of South Palestine. But I think it's pretty clear as you read the Old Testament and you study their history, these people really studied nature and particularly birds. And some of the birds they liked and some of the birds they didn't like. And one of the birds they found so disgusting was the ostrich. And they observed the ostrich. And you know, one of the things about the ostrich, it it would lay its eggs anywhere, even out in the path in the middle of the road for anybody to step on or any predator to come and take it. And they just thought that was so awful. And of course, the ostrich was such a fast animal. At any sign of trouble, it would tuck tail and run. And they didn't like the ostrich. But I tell you, a bird they did like was the stork. And the stork, they observed, would always lay its eggs very carefully high up in a tree, in a nest, or in the cleft of a rock. And it would be kind of held back. It would be kind of protected. 
And they noticed that at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of a predator coming by, the stork wouldn't leave. But it would always stay there with its egg. They thought that was so wonderful. Even created this Hebrew term. It really is expressed, I think, best in Psalm 100 and verse 5, where it says, and his love endures forever. It's a loyal love. And we see that as part of the fabric of who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. A church full of people who love the Lord, who are in love with Jesus Christ, who loved us enough that he sent his only begotten son that we might have life and have life that's abundant and everlasting, but also to send us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to help us and aid us in our walk of faith. There's several things that I think we could also note from this text. In fact, there's a lot of things that we could take here from Acts chapter 2. This is amazing chapter of the Bible to see this new development in these people that are filled with God's spirit. But there's a few pieces of the DNA that I want to also lift up just besides the love, which is so important. Another piece that I find really helpful to know is here in the New Testament church, a part of the DNA of the church is prayer. Do you know that? If we're really going to be that church of Jesus Christ, prayer has to be a staple it's got to be something that's so part of who we are. These people knew how to have a prayer meeting, folks. A prayer meeting. The presence of God's power makes the church different from every other organization on the planet. Do you realize that? Microsoft doesn't have the Holy Spirit to do their work. Dell or GM or Apple, or Yahoo, or any of those other places, those corporations don't have the pleasure of having, having the Holy Spirit. The government is not given the Holy Spirit, but only the church, the power of God. God has given us this enormous responsibility to be the church and to spread the hope of the gospel, to give people this incredible message of love that God loves them. And we're to bring as many friends as possible, our family and friends, acquaintances and neighbors, people, we are to bring them to the foot of the cross, invite them to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And you know, God doesn't expect us to do this on our own. You need God's power to really change the things that you can't change on your own. And how do you get that power? I'm telling you, it's through prayer. And we find it was such a key ingredient here to the sauce, if you will, of this early church. These people really knew how to get a hold of God. And they were really in fervent prayer. And on the 50th day after the resurrection, Pentecost came and God's spirit filled their hearts and life. And Jesus said, don't you try to do anything with your life until I give you the power to do it. Don't go out and try to do it on your own. You'll just fail. You know, second, I think only to suffering is waiting. Maybe it's one of the most challenging things that we do in our walk of faith. But these people indeed waited for God to work and the Holy Spirit filled their lives and suddenly they had power untold to this world. And God worked in an amazing way in their life. 
A second thing that I want to say to you that I think we can take as a vital part of our church is not only the importance of prayer, but we see this incredible worship with joy. I can't imagine what it must have been like for those people gathered there and the joy that they had that is so, so present here in their community, this love for God, and it's just so contagious. And it's so joyful, and the people are so excited. And, you know, if we're truly filled with the joy of the Lord, it ought to ooze out all over you. I asked a kid, I noticed one time they really loved going to Sunday school. And I, I asked the child, I said, well, why do you love Sunday school? And they said, well, I love my Sunday school teacher. And I said, well, what is it about your Sunday school teacher that you love so much? And they said, well, their eyes twinkle just like they're laughing inside all the time. Do you know people that really are just so filled with God's spirit? They're just so upbeat and so filled with joy that it just oozes out. You know, we ought to be like our coffee cup. I fill my coffee cup up sometimes to the brim. And, you know, if you kind of bump into me, it just spills out all over. And, you know, we ought to be so filled with God's joy that you ought to just be contagious. People ought to stop and want to know what's going on in your life. It ought to be an opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We ought to worship with joy. I believe it was part of the early church. I believe it needs to be part of our church. You know, it's kind of like the Rocky movies. You know, you go out in the world and you're in a fight. The world is dishing out all kinds of trouble to you. There's all kinds of problems you face. You go around and around this week and that week, and then the bell sounds, and you have to come back here for a moment to get your batteries charged, to really be surrounded by other Christian-loving people here in this fellowship of joy, and to just take a moment to kind of recoup, to hear some words of encouragement, to be reminded of God's love for you. And that you are going to make it. The church is going to be victorious regardless of what the world and our culture is dishing out. But we're going to be victorious. Worship ought to be charging your batteries today and really causing your spirit to be alive in God. You know, when I was a kid, I had the chance as I was a high school kid to work with uh, some of the uh, concerts that would be in our hometown and it was a way to earn a little extra money. And I can remember being some of those, uh, uh, those concerts that people would, uh, during the, the concert, they would get out one of those, I guess it was a Zippo lighter. They kind of flicked that thing and everybody in the, you know, in the auditorium would be, uh, you know, kind of waving their lighter around. Now, people don't carry Zippos today, but what they do is they carry cell phones. And I saw this here last year when I was at a football game on Friday night and just just kind of this impromptu kind of response in the third quarter. Everybody got their cell phones out, and they had their flashlight turned on, and it was really this kind of cool experience. Everybody was really into it. Wouldn't that be cool if we did that on Sunday morning? We just all got our cell phones out, and we were waving around. We're just so excited at what God is doing. You know what? You are going to worship something in your life. You're going to worship something. That's the way we are wired. 
to express emotion and to worship. And I know sometimes we come in to our worship services and it is kind of a reverent kind of time. And, and we're in here. It's a place of peace. It's a place of, of sanctuary where we gather here. But I think too often, folks, we just don't express the joy that we have in our heart to God for all that he's done for us. In this early church, these people were on fire for God. They were worshiping the Lord. Notice it says in Acts 2, they continued to worship together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying. Notice the word enjoy. These people were enjoying what they were doing. This is an amazing picture of the church. Now, I got to tell you, there are two reasons why lost people don't come to church. You know this? Two reasons I find, broadly speaking, why lost people don't come to church. One is they've never met a Christian. And I've seen studies like this where it says the average United Methodist invites someone to church once every 38 years. That's an amazing thing. And a lot of people never come to church because they're never invited. You know what the second reason? Some people don't come to faith in God because they met a Christian. Or somebody that purports to be a Christian person. People are all bound up inside. And I got to tell you, I don't want to be a Christian like that. That's not what we see on display here in the early church. That's not what the original church, this early church, was all about. These people worship God with great joy, and it was so contagious. And then thirdly, quickly, let me say to you today that if we want God's blessing, a clear piece of the DNA was a culture of invitation. These people were all about spreading this with other people, their family and friends or neighbors or acquaintances. It was all about letting people know what they were missing and how much they needed God in their life. There's nothing any cooler than that to realize that Jesus has died for you, your sins are forgiven, and one day you're going to go on into eternity. You can be with family and friends. The only thing that's going to last, this new heaven and this new earth that God is going to create and usher in the kingdom of God. And you know, this DNA here really is all about here inviting other people into relationship with God. In verse 40 and 41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The first day out of the box, they were a mega church. An instant sensation overnight, 3,000 people walked through the doors. This is, a, this is really a happening place. They became a mega church on the first day of the church, and they were reaching out to the people. And then notice verse 47. It says here in a line in the message paraphrase of the Bible, people liked what they saw. So every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. Notice the phrase, the people liked what they saw. You know what? When people like what they see, they're going to listen to what we say. But they're not going to listen to what we say until they like what we see. I mean, before people trust Jesus, they want to know, can they trust you? Are you going to be a, a trustworthy friend? Are you a person of integrity? 
Are you a person that has been changed yourself? Have you experienced the joy of God? And it comes out of your life. Before people want to receive that, they want to know if you've had it. If you truly believe what you say, they want to know if you're authentic. This summer, we really want to reach you in this Syria. I want to challenge you in this month of July not to be one of those United Methodists that's never invited anybody to church, uh, what, maybe 38 years ago. I want to challenge you to really take this seriously in this month of July. My goal would be for everybody in the church to extend an invitation for people to come to know Jesus Christ. And at least an invitation to invite someone to church. There's various and sundry ways we're going to kind of work at this, but as an intro step today, as you leave here, the ushers are going to give you a card. And we want you to begin in taking this challenge to usher out, give out, dish out, however you want to state it, compliments to your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances, and your neighbors. There's all kinds of people around you that are really in great need. There are books written about this, you know that. They call it in our day the crisis of caring because everybody's so focused on technology and uh, on all their blogging and in their own individual lives. It's amazing to me how we can be so connected, but at the same time, we become the most disconnected people there is. And your words of encouragement and hope, I guarantee you, can make a difference and really be impactful in this community. We challenge you to do that, to live out as a Christian person the joy of Jesus Christ, to worship the Lord, to be in prayer, and to be those that are going to invite people to know God as their Savior. We need to get on our knees. We need to pour out our hearts. We need to extend our hands and spread our wings to make the church to be that field of dreams we were intended to be. Won't you take this challenge? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for these precious moments of worship, for this opportunity to gather here today and to just think about the early church and the power of the Holy Spirit that is afforded unto every Christian disciple. We pray, oh God, for our people today. We pray for this faith community, a church that we love that this would be such a place full of joy and excitement that other people just can't wait to get here and, and to see what all the hubbub's about. We pray that you would work in the lives of your people to touch a number of people just this week. The words of encouragement that we're going to share, that it would just be at the right moment that people would stop and that they would hear from you in those wonderful words of love. Use us, we pray, almighty God. May we be the church and live faithfully for you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Our hymn of preparation uh, is 618. Let us remain seated as we sing together and prepare for Holy Communion. Let us break bread together.
It is a great and awesome privilege to be able to gather at the Lord's table today. And the grace that God uh, gives to us, His mercy that just uh, is unbounded and so given for you. And uh, I trust today that you will come with great reverence but great joy as we gather here in these moments, these personal, intimate moments with our Lord. Shall we pray? Almighty God, indeed, we are so grateful, grateful people today. Our hearts leap with joy for what you have done for each of us, indeed, for all people. For you said, whosoever shall believe in you. Lord, we thank you for that plan of salvation. We pray today that your spirit would be poured forth upon this bread and cup and that it truly might be for us your body and blood. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would fill our cups today, each and every one of us fill our hearts. May you work in our lives that we might be a holy people for this world. May we be transformed and used by you, even in this week as we go forth to share words of encouragement, love, and hope with others. And Lord, as we come forth today, we pray your blessing upon each one. And we join together in these words that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite our communion servers and our ushers to come forward at this time and also to remind all of you that you don't have to be an official member of the faith community, United Methodist Church, but that you come earnestly desiring to lead that life with Christ, that you come in confession uh, of your sins. So the body of Christ, broken and given for you, and also the cup of salvation that is offered to you, come and feast at the Lord's table.